Hello and welcome to the promised land. It is Cobby Mania. As uh, Rob, did you use that yesterday? Was that you? Because I was thinking the same thing. Uh, were you thinking Cobby Mania? I was. Think- yeah, I, I, I actually was, and I did. That was before I saw what you you tweeted this morning. I, I, I had Hulk Hogan in my head going, "Cobby Mania is running wild on you," and my God, I was taking my vitamins. So, like, I looked at that last night, and I just I, I tweeted that, and it was an emotional response. It felt like. Not that Cobby's arrived, like we've he's been arriving for a while, hasn't he? But my God, he's the center of everything that's good at Manchester United. In the in res- wrestling spiel, do you remember the the old WrestleMania theme tune? Whoa, whoa, Cobby Mania! <laughs> I actually just sang on a podcast. Sorry, everyone. I think we should have more singing on the podcast, especially in the first minute of a show, Scott. I mean, we're talking about like going for it from the start. I, I think this is a new thing, yeah? We'll, we'll get a wrestling theme tune and we'll make it work towards how Man United are playing. And I'm sure it'll be very up and down every week. Yeah, this is The Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the Nightman Podcast Network. Scott and Rob back as usual. Subscribe, please, wherever you get your podcasts and watch us on YouTube as well. The Promised Land and Man United podcast. Like the video, subscribe, leave a comment, etc., etc. Hit the notification bell so you don't miss a show. And... Apple and Spotify, etc. The places you can find us on audio platforms. Social media is where we are also at as well, at double underscore Scott Saunders on X, IG, TikTok, at underscore Rob underscore B on X, and YouTube at TPL, MUFC on X as well, or Twitter as it's formerly known. Today, we, we have seen some of your comments. You're too negative. You're so negative. Stop being negative. Uh, well, no, today... Um, there are things that we could pick out in that United performance, how how you let go a 2-0 and a 3-1 lead with some silly decisions. Uh, but, you know, the positive is that you took three points. Your latest academy graduate pops up with the most composed piece of play. Typical of him. It's so typical in a, in a moment where <clears throat> the game essentially descends into chaos because everybody's just lost their heads. Mm. Uh, including the people who are watching. So playing in it is, I don't know what people must be thinking, but then he just gets the ball. Nutmeg's got Max Kilman opens up in front of him. It all seemed to just happen in slow motion. And then he just like eh, slots it far corner and just runs off a bit of calmer. Uh, I think there was a bit of a uh, finger wagging or whatever. Mm-hmm. Corby mania. He's not supposed to do that. He's supposed to just sit sit deep in midfield and be like, yeah, chilling. But do you know what, Scott? That's exactly what he's supposed to do. Like, this is the copy we've spoken about for a while, about player that is multi-talented, that can do all sorts of stuff around the opposition box. But yet, of course, he's been introduced to Man United as a number six, hasn't he? So we think defensive function. And he does all of that as well. He is a modern central midfielder that can do both. He's a proper box-to-box it's just nice, Scott, that he's playing in the eight. Funnily enough, obviously, towards the end of the game, he's playing as the six. But he's going like good footballers do. I don't have to stay in that position. I have to go help my team now because we've made a big mess of this. It's now three all. And I've got to try and penetrate into that space. So I think the thing is with, with Cobby, Scott, is that this is all about untapped potential. And I think that this is showing Ten Hag in real time what he maybe should be doing with some of the midfield because... There's no doubt that Manu can facilitate this stuff week after week after week. Like, he is the calmest guy on a football pitch, isn't he? You know, it doesn't matter what his, his age is. He, he plays like be. he's 28. It, it literally plays like he's been playing football for well, 30 38. years. Well, say 38. <laughs> There's been a lot of of kind of like, I've seen a few people can in, in a good him. way, sorry. Yeah, Sorry. <laughs> I've seen a lot of people compare him to Clarence Sadoff and like in my head a, few, a week or two ago, I was thinking very similar thing, like the Stockport Sadoff thing. That was like, you know, it's kind of what what he is and what he can become. There's no doubt that that I think is his level. Like that's a world class level. And I think that he can achieve that at Manchester United. And that's what you have to build on. So when things are going wrong, Scott, and things are burning and like bad things are still happening, that's what you have to grab hold of, isn't it? So, like you said, this got some of our viewers were like, "Oh, you're all negative, Rob Scott, too negative." Well, we're going to be positive today because even though we saw some not so good things yesterday against Wolves, we did see plenty of stuff we can talk about that was wholly positive. Where should we start? Let's 
let's do a bit more Cobby because, you know, the fact that you can go and pull that off when, well, let me say this, right? We we would have seen Cobby, Cobby Menu play a lot, probably since the start of this, from the start of the season, really, mm. if he didn't get injured against Real Madrid in preseason. Um, mm. In that game, he played alongside Casemiro in, in midfield and Casemiro, I think it was his tackle that led to somebody falling over and then that fell into into Kobe and then he had an injury, which he was out for a few months with. You know, I think we've criticized Casemiro. I think Casemiro's coming for criticism for the duration of the season. Um, but obviously he was sitting in that role, Rob, wasn't he, where he was mm. a, a, essentially a lone six and Mason Mount and Bruno Fernandes would press on the very top line and then easily be beaten and then Casemiro doesn't really he's never been quick anyway is he but yesterday I think United with Casemiro and Maynou in there looked let's say for the first 60 minutes Casemiro got booked after two but you know we'll, we'll toss that aside for 60 odd minutes it looked like they fully were in control of that and it seemed like those two might be the go-tos for me anyway moving forward yeah like your 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 pickings are slim aren't they you know i think you're seeing with casemiro that you know the deficiencies are still there like he gets booked in the second minute for diving in again we've done that show 35 times it feels like you know like don't dive in casemiro you don't need to because you're compromising the game but what you did see with casemiro of course also is his all his all his know-how so he did intercept play quite often in the six he got united going he got them on the front foot and he's doing that more functional number six work. Is he still going to get run, Scott, week after week by midfields that work that out quite early? Yes, he is. So that's something you have to work towards. But there's no doubt that Casemiro and Manu being maybe the hub of your midfield is is more functional and works more. Do you know what I mean? Oh, balloons going if, up there on our screen. What was if you're listening about? on audio, I don't, Rob just had some balloons on on his uh, on his screen. I don't know. Like uh, I, I put my hand up, you like to gestate or something. You, be, I think it's a stream. Can we turn thing, this off. It? I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure. Oh, look, there we go. Look, oh, there you go. You had a, a thumbs up as well. Thumbs strange. up for for Cobby. Strange AI world anyway, that we live in. Sorry, go on. But but um but I think the whole thing is that you have to move away from Casemiro eventually, of course. But at the moment, there's no doubt that he's your best option as a six. Like if you want to do other things on a football pitch. I actually think, Scott, it's not a criticism of Bruno Fernandes, not really, not a direct one. But if you're going to play 4-1-4-1, and we're now saying, this is how I feel, Cobby is your num one of your eights. He's got to be. He's got to be one of your eights. You've got no choice now. He's just too good. Is that if the other number eight is Bruno Fernandes, then Bruno's going to have to do defensive work that probably hurts you as well. And you saw that yesterday. Is that Bruno, when he's in and around the box, still just can't do a lot of the the functional defensive works. You're not a defensive player. He can run around. He's got all the effort in the world, all the, all everything you want from a player to kind of put his heart on the line, but he just can't do some of that function. Bruno is better up the pitch. If he's in the 10 or higher up near a striker, Bruno's good. That's where you want Bruno. So I think this is, this is something for Ten Hag to work out in the week's head because it's going to be 4-1-4-1 now, isn't it? I think for the rest of the season, he's not going to do anything else. That's his default system now. And I think that Cobby and Casemiro has to start in the midfield when they're fit. And it's just as simple as that. Just, a, I suppose, there's a word for, you know, Ten Hag's been criticised by everybody for poor results and performances this season, and, and mm -hmm. rightly so. But there's always that underlying consideration that, hey, my entire team's injured. And what we saw yesterday, Andre Onana's, well, been playing. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about him a bit later. But then you've got Rafa Varane. Seems like all those issues of him being dropped are just behind him. And now he's reunited with Lissandro Martinez, who I've said, and I've said so many times, you know, I miss him so much. They, they really do. They they miss the, the, the tenacity. They miss the, the precision that he has on the ball. They miss mm. the aggression that he has. They miss his defensive capabilities. They miss his calmness in possession. Next to Luke Shaw, who, you know, there's always this debate about is he world class, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then you 
put that back four back together and whether you interchange Wan-Bissaka for Dallow, I mean, that's personal preference, I think. But you put Shaw in there and then we just talked about the midfield. Shaw overlaps Marcus Rashford, who's been having a bad season. Luke Shaw, I think, has only played 12, 13 games and not really been that fit. He's not been able to uh, get any rhythm to him. And then one of the goals comes about from Luke Shaw overlapping Rashford and he actually passed it to Rasmus Hoyland. Mm. which is crazy. Um, the right side is, I think Garnacho deserves his spot there. I wouldn't really change that. Um, but yeah, what my point is, Ten Hag actually has players that he are not square pegs in round holes for once. And I think it resulted for me in 60 minutes of some really decent stuff that you want to start to build on. Completely. And and, and I think the, the biggest positive out of, the game yesterday more than even Manu's brilliant moment at the end is that you played with poise and focus for the vast majority of the game and the two players you've mentioned there are the two that I want to highlight as well is I think with Luke Shaw it's all about how you conduct yourself Scott like players can make mistakes Martinez can make a mistake Luke Shaw can make a mistake it's just about what your function is I just said that Luke Shaw overlapping Rashford is always going to give Rashford more time on the ball in the correct area. And it also gives you an extra threat on the final ball going into the box from Luke Shaw. And we know Luke Shaw's really good at that. Martinez being the first player that the ball goes to out from Anana gives you much more control going into the midfield. And United have missed that all season long, haven't they? Because these two players are your fundamental ball progressors in your team. So it's good for Ten Hag because I think that he can play the system and the style of football that he wants to play a little bit more. You still nearly made a mess of it because you got to 3-3 in a game where really you should have been 5-0 up at halftime. <laughs> like you could have you could have won this game really early on and that's something I think United need to learn. But there was certainly, I think, more positives and negatives. And, and from the bench side as well, Scott, I've criticised Eric Ten Hag people have said to me, oh, you've got an agenda against Eric Ten Hag. It's turning. We can smell it. This is like when Jose was at the football club and you turned on him and all this. And it's like, no, just trying to call the tactics, trying to call what we're seeing and saying whether it's good or bad. And I think some of the stuff from the sideline in the last few weeks and months has not been good. Some of the tactics have been a little bit regressive, I think. But when everyone is fit, Scott, you can probably do your preferred system of 4 one 4 one If you've got Casemiro plugging the hole in the six, you've got a centre-back that can bring the ball out. You've got a full-back that can overlap and get forward and become a, uh, become an, a kind of winger out there to help Rashford. All these things will feel better. You just mentioned Garnacho. You know, Garnacho now, to get in the team, probably won't start on the left. He'll start on the right. He's already shown in a very short body of work. He can do that. He can do that work because he can be left side, right side. He's multifunctional. You know, I actually think on the right, he's much more functional than Anthony. Like, Anthony, come on last night. And do you know what? Obviously, we'll, maybe we'll talk about Anthony later. He, he didn't cover himself in glory. But it, no. I find it quite interesting that he played left and Garnacho stayed on the right. Yeah. Because I think you're going to have to say to Garnacho, your job now is there. That's where you start in this team. And of course, there's going to be times where you switch wings with the wingers. That's normal. But I think overall is that, that Garnacho as a right footer gives you better balance there. Now, that's that falls away from Ten Hag's normal MO of having inverted players. So Garnacho, I don't know if you notice, Scott, quite often when he comes back for the ball now on either the left or the right, he starts to invert a lot more. So he gets the ball. So he's clearly been told this. Go into midfield, make the upper, the extra man, and then you can pop the ball out. And I like that because it shows he's learning. He doesn't just stand on the wing like Rashford tends to. Rashford will stand there until something happens to him. He'll be out wide. But then that's what Rashford does because he's got this straight line speed. Garnacho, I think, is more of a footballer and gets involved. And I think that's the only way you can go forward is with him being as your first chance, choice right side player, which is a big question about a guy that you paid 80 million for <laughs> who isn't going to start games now going forward because he doesn't warrant it, you know? And, and Garnacho is better on that side. There's no doubt about it for me. Obviously, transfer policy and transfers in general should hmm. be called into question. Obviously, the we're we're days ish away from Ineos's investment being ratified. You'd think, and at some point in the near future, transfer errors 
might be reviewed and potentially reversed. I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about Onana in a in a, in a little bit. Anthony falls into that category as well. Mm. Mason Mounts. You could have picked Mason Mount for free in four months, mm. if five months, if uh, you'd let him run his contract down rather than spending sixty million. He's barely played anyway because he's been injured. Um, but you know, at least now we can concentrate on improving things on the pitch and i don't want to get into negative territory um we will do a little bit we'll 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 call out where united need to improve maybe towards the end of the show we'll also do a bit of uh why united and we was asked by a, a listener why have man united offloaded so many youth products this month youth uh, united hate youth even though Kobe menu took over the, the game last night and scored uh you know probably one of the goals of the month you know goals of the season you know just in the circumstances that it was anyway we'll talk about that later now let's uh just focus a little bit more on the style aspect rob because obviously results are the be all and end all but obviously when you're not you're united and you you're out ten Hag and you play real madrid off the pitch at the bernabeu with ajax people come in expecting some kind of style to be implemented and there's arguments that united have not had a style for 18 months. Do you think there is one there? Do you think the the absence of personnel has affected it? The absence of personnel can only affect it. Like, if you don't have your best players in your team, whichever team you are, even if you're Man City or Liverpool doing well, as soon as you lose your best players... If, if you lose them all, like United lost, I think, like 12 or 13 players that you could say would be starters in, in many, many different football matches, then, of course, it's going to hurt you. So this is why it always becomes a little bit of a null and void point is that we talk about flair function or tactics. And the caveat always underneath it is that, yeah, if you haven't got your best players, then yeah, you're not going to be as good. That's like normal. It's not, nothing to kind of write home about. I think what we're, what we're looking at, Scott, here is purpose. Yeah, so I think that United yesterday, the, the most important part of the whole game, besides winning it for free, is that they played with purpose, yeah, in, in what they were doing, in their coverage, in the way they were linking together. And it's that element of fast slow that we talk about. So, like, in games, there are times where you have to slow it down, and that's fine, and take 10 minutes on the ball. And there are times that for five, 10 minutes, you have to speed it up because there are, there are opportunities at the other end. Think you know when United scored early on, the first thing in my head was like, right, don't concede a goal now, because that's what you do every time. You, you score and then you concede, and that didn't really happen yesterday. Even though United did concede three goals, but it wasn't this immediate reaction to scoring a goal and just switching off. And we've seen that so often at United is that they score and then they go to sleep for five minutes and concede. And that hurts you more than you can ever say mentally up here because it really, really affects you. It's stressful. And I think yesterday they controlled those parts of the game. They still somehow got to the end of the match and it was 3-0 in, in deep in the 90 minutes. And we can kind of put a cap on that later. So that's something to learn from, isn't it? But now you've got your better players back. We should expect to see higher standards. We should expect to see tactics executed in a more kind of erudite way. So... I feel good about that. Like I think you've got these players coming back and it means that you should be able to do other things. But you've now got to carry on that control and purpose, Scott, because I think you you went there and if you just do normal stuff in the final third, like you win this game at half time, don't you? It's over at three or four nil and you go and have a second half where you can just swan around with the ball a little bit. And that's something United need to get towards. They're working towards that. You just mentioned Ten Hag there in the Bernabeu. You know, we're never going to be Ajax. Like we 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 are never ever going to play that style of football. So people need to stop thinking like that. He needs to find a way in the Premier League to do all the flair and the function and the control. And yesterday, I think there are breadcrumbs there to show that this manager can do it. And this goes back to what we have said, I think, in months gone by, is that you have to judge him when he's got all the cards on the table. So here we are now. You've got your best team. There are no excuses. You have to go forward with this. We have to get better performances, and we have to get wins. This is why, for me, the sacking mid-season debate is just pointless, like, really. I mean, you know, I understand the the magnitude of United and how every result, you could be you, you're one loss away from a crisis, like, almost mm. all the time. But, 
you're saying another manager comes in and magically makes maybe 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 it happens but look at rob roberto de Zerbi, right who, who everyone wanted three we months ago has won won three <laughs> matches in 16 in the premier league yeah has anybody noticed no because no. brighton no one cares about brighton it's brighton you nobody's know. noticed if you he lo- if he wins three matches in 16 at united he's gone oh, yeah. or everyone's calling him a fraud Exactly, and 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 like again, these these things are not like he just lost four nil at Luton. Yeah, it's it's not that they're not valid, and I don't think that if you brought a new manager in that you, you there's any magic. Like that's not it's still a work piece of work. You have to work from the start, don't you, with the players that you got and building into new transfer windows. Um, I I do think that that, that like yesterday, if you draw that game three all, it's going to feel like a defeat both to the players and to all of us. And this show is very, very different. <laughs> like, Kobe Manu really did save the bacon yesterday for Manchester United. He really, really did with that moment that we can all celebrate and feel good about. You know, we opened the show with Kobe Mania. You know, thank you, Kobe, you know, you know, praying emoji. Because without him yesterday, you, you, you are talking about something completely different here. And this will be Ten Hag with his first team, yeah? So th- this is a body of work. The manager has to improve things 1% at a time. But it's timing, Scott, as well, is that you haven't really got a lot of time to prove yourself. And that's football in a nutshell. Like you just said about Deserby, you know, we're talking about next Liverpool managers and things like that. Deserby is on that list. But yeah, like he hasn't, you know, his winning record recently in this season's not been fantastic. I think Brighton are, are the, one of the few teams that have got a, as bad a goal difference as Man United this season in the middle of the table. But for, for Ten Hag, he has to get results. Forget all the noise, close it all down in-house and get results get your players get your players like marcus rashford back into the game here get him scoring goals get him contributing at the right end of the football pitch and things should be better and i think that the team we saw yesterday scott is probably the 11 that will start most games now going forward like yeah, everyone's I think fit so. i think mason mount isn't is an option somewhere in the wider areas or if you want to bring him in and, and try something a little bit different at number eight like i said though i still don't think Bruno is an optimal number eight for this system of 4141. If you go back to 4231 or something like that, Cobby definitely can sit deeper in a double pivot, and it means that Bruno can be a 10. But then you've got Mount and you haven't got a lot else. Like you look around the team, you've you have trimmed out the players that you were looking at, the Hannibals, the Palestries. These players are now out of your squad and not available. So you're gonna to have to just do it a certain way, aren't you? And I think when you've got everyone fit, that's not a difficult call for Ten Hag. So I don't think we're going to be saying to him every week, all oh, right, you're going to make some dramatic changes because he's going to play this system in his team pretty much against every team he plays now going forward towards the end of the season. There's also obviously absences and the fact that they play the game every three days. And I know other clubs are in the same situation. Um, but when you're trying to revamp a culture on top of all this, yeah. You know, I nobody ever said that this United job would be an easy fix. You look at like clubs like Tottenham and then think, oh, Ange can turn it around in five minutes. He doesn't have half the problems there. That I, I know they came from a bad situation, but this ship takes a hell of a lot more to turn around. Like there's so many extra. I'm even getting a thumbs up. I'm like the stream yard must have loved <laughs> that. You know, I think Ten Hag should have, as long as he doesn't lose ten in a row, as long as he isn't fifteenth in a relegation battle for me, you see out the season with him, but now, and I, I I've said this many times now it's a testing ground. Now everybody has got to prove themselves, including Ten Hag. I think how much blame do you put on? No, I, I, we'll come to the negative section after, um, <laughs> you know, at least we saw 60 minutes of, I think what Eric Ten Hag wants yesterday. And there's plenty of positives to take. Like I say, we'll, we'll come on to the other stuff, but in terms of one of the big criticisms that we've had is nobody passes to Rasmus Hoyland. Mm. Now, do you think there's some kind of budding relationship there starting to starting to build? Because obviously he got the assist for Rashford. I know that was a bit of a tip-off when he was under pressure. Lovely finish from Rashford, by the way. We'll skip over all that stuff. I, 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 the conversation's moved on. But... Good of Rashford to respond in that way, scoring after four minutes. I thought he played okay, mm. uh, one of his better performances. But I think Luke Shaw passing for Hoyland to score a, a striker's goal because he made that run. He made the run to the near post, and usually it's uh, no, I'm not going to bother. 
Now I'll, just, I'll try and I'll delay it or I'll cut it back to somebody who isn't there. And then mm. you've got like a it seems like a natural striker who's in there to to score goals. Like it was a it was a scrappy ass scrappy goal. But that you've got to score those. You have to score those. You've got to score those. You want ten of those a season. Like that that is exactly what you want a nine to do. I don't know if you saw Scott um, Hoyland's interview after he was given man of the match in him, which again I think was debatable. Like he, he got the man of the match award, but I think it was a that's a, a pat on the back for a good performance. Um, he said. Outwardly, he was like, I've said to my teammates, if you don't pass me the ball in those areas, then I'm going to like come after you. But at the same time, if you do pass it to me and I miss the chance, then you're allowed to come after me. And that's good because it's like self-governance. That's what you want teams to do. You want them to have that communication line. And like, yeah, if Rasmus has chances but misses them, then all you can do is create the chance for him, can't you? That's what you do for your number nine. And at the same time, Hoyland's dual function is to control some part of the press higher up the pitch. And he, I think he does all of that. Like, again, for a young lad, I think he's pretty consistent in a lot of that work. He doesn't really clock on and off. He's he's good at that stuff. So I love that goal, Scott, even though, you, you know, you see he scores the goal, doesn't he? Flicks it in the net at the near post, and he's, like, celebrating on his face. Like, he's like... And do you know what? He's a Man United fan. He's feeling like all of us in that moment. I know he's scoring the goal and earning the money and wearing the shirt, but he's a fan. He's feeling that. He knows what it means. That's a positive. So, He's been starved of chances and well, goals really as well. So you can you can't blame him. He's got one of the lowest XA to XGs in the league of being supplied the ball in the whole Premier League as a number nine. I think he's pretty much bottom. United have not passed in the ball in optimum areas compared to other strikers. I, I was digging through the stats the other day. And when you compare it to, say, like Salah at Liverpool, or obviously Haaland, is that they all get chances created for them in good areas of the football pitch. And they're also brilliant on their own. They can do you know their own stuff. Salah can beat people off the dribble and everything. You know, Haaland can physically outwork you in the penalty box. But the the... the the whole thing is, Scott, is that they get the chances from their teammates. And that we can talk about our creative players, and we've done it a lot in the past. Unless you get the ball to the striker somewhere around the penalty spot or in the six-yard box, you are not helping them. Not enough. And this has been the criticism maybe from me in the past of, say, Bruno Fernandes, is that Bruno's got great metrics for assists and goals and all of those things. But we need to see him more in the 10, closer to the striker to help the striker or higher up the pitch. So that's the problem also Bruno being in the eight. He's not close enough to the striker. He's trying to do Hollywood passes. So I, I think it's, it's positive because it shows that United are learning with the striker on the fly, what they need to do. But I, I'm going to give Rashford his due here because I think Rashford really helped uh, Hoyland yesterday and Garnacho as well. The front three have, have definitely come into a better understanding of where they're supposed to be on a football pitch when the ball's at their feet. And and Luke Shaw overlapping is, is the kind of cherry on the cake because once you're in that channel, Scott, it means the forwards can get in the box and be in better positions. So... This is it now. Like, you have to carry on running with this, don't you? You've got a striker. You haven't got any other strikers. Like, he's going to be the number nine by hell of a high water. It doesn't matter. You haven't got any other options. And I think as long as Rashford can carry on maybe what he did yesterday, and I think he has done that in previous games as well. His form is better. I think he's getting goals and assists again. Then let's keep everything to the on-pitch on function. That's what we can talk about. And and it was better. As I said, you give it to half time and you expect to be five or six nil up because you create all these chances, the next step, Scott, is actually scoring the goals. Get the goals. Go and hammer a team now, whoever you go play in the future. Create all these chances in 20 or 30 minutes, but you've got to start taking them now. Well, they should that have last was... night. I mean, the Bruno Fernandes had a massive chance, which was blocked. Hoyland had a yeah. chance from about six yards, which was saved. Uh, two offside goals. Mm. So actually encouraging uh, set-piece planning uh, mm. from Bruno and Casemiro, wasn't it? I think Casemiro should have... There was one chance in particular he should have scored. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you're in that situation, you're two nil up, and you're there were there were moments where United were just like they wouldn't take their foot off hmm. the throat, essentially, to to say it that way. But then they just they were get, they were making the chances, but just not taking them. Uh and you can't afford it because really, you know, you can run through a game and absolutely dominate it. And then you can get the world's worst officiating decision. Hmm. And all of a sudden the game's flipped on its head. And we know how United deal with uh, changes in momentum in matches, let's say. Um, do you want to do any penalty? 
like like it it's it it's not a foul for me first and foremost i think that the, the contact in technical terms is incidental so he might have brushed him but i think the player accentuates it and that's basically what simulation is in the book i think he simulates the foul and he wins the foul the referee gives it so it's really hard then for var to find an angle which proves that he was clear and obviously wrong but he was clear and obviously wrong. It's like it's not a penalty. <laughs> it's really not a penalty. And and the referee, if he gives that, Scott, is guessing. Like, he's near enough to it, but he's sold down the river. And this is kind of why we called for VAR for many years. It's that you can then run back a replay. What I don't understand, Scott, is why is it that the referee, you can't advise the referee and say, well, that's a 50-50, go to the monitor and look at it. Because in the two or three minutes that he stood there telling all the players they're doing a video review, like there is a screen within 20 yards of you. Go and look at the screen. I actually think if he sees that in slow motion, he rescinds it. Goes, actually, there's nothing in that, is there? There's just hardly touched him. And if he has touched him, it's certainly not enough to constitute a foul. So, And that did change some of the flow of the game, didn't it? I think when that happened, I was still quite happy, Scott, that after that, United did get back on the horse. Mm. Like in, in previous matches, 2-1 is a really dangerous scoreline for Man United because you think they're going to lose their mind. And in re previous weeks and months, that has happened where they've not been able to handle it. I still didn't completely handle it fantastically, but they did seem to have, again, more purpose about their work. They knew they had to go and carry on and try and win the football match. And they did. Scott McTominay comes on, heads the ball into the ground, goes into the roof of the net. That's your job. Like, well done. And United carried on doing, I think, the good stuff that they did in the first half deeper into the football match. Yeah, but obviously... Somehow, well, well, right. Spot not spoiler. Um, notice this. This is the negative section. We're gonna <laughs> do. We're gonna try and box don't it. In switch off. So don't ten minutes. Off. Just don't switch off. Like we we said about like don't Adam. don't concede after half time. Yes, they managed not to. Like straight after half time. Mm. Like the way that Wolves broke out and what led to the penalty. Bit naive, I think. It's not a penalty for me. But, no. you know, it's a crazy decision. You go ahead again. You go back down the other end. Scott McTominay nods it in. Seemed to have learned from his missed chance in the final minute against Spurs the other week where he didn't head the ball into the ground. Mm. They went over the bar. But then what happened in this period between McTominay's goal and Kobe Menu's goal? Because, like we said, we said earlier on, transfer policy and transfer decisions <clears throat> you know there's questions um like i was prepared to give onana a chance as we should with all with all players but you know it's just he's not doing it for me really i i think this one needs to be and what can you do can you can you actually sell him <laughs> you know is is that even possible he just got ousted for for cameroon by a third third division french league keeper at AFCON, he's come back. I mean, and then the first goal, or the second goal, sorry, which uh, he's just a little bit soft in. And then Pedro Neto's goal, we'll talk about the corner in a minute, but he just, it's not in the corner, you know? So I, mm. I, look, at, I look at that and I think, that's going to continue costing United in certain moments. I'm not putting the blame firmly on him, but it's just not, my point is, it's just not very convincing at the moment, is it? No, I think you're being polite. Like, it's not a case of whether it's convincing or not. I'm, I'm one of these people that definitely want players to be given chances and you make your mistakes and you learn from them. There's no doubt, I think, that watching every second of Anana play for Manchester United, he's not really learning. He's not, not really. He had a spell for about five or six games where I think where he improved in the Premier League going back in like months ago. But you can see, Scott, that again, in a lot of his function, that if he makes one mistake, you bet he's going to make four. And that's a bad look on a goalkeeper. Like he's not a double down goalkeeper. It's not like I make a mistake and then like, all right, I pick myself up. I think De Gea was a bit more like that. De Gea was a little bit more like if he made a mistake, then he would kind of correct himself and go back to basics and, you know, just try and keep the ball out of the net of any way that he can. I'm not trying to make that comparison to be like deliberately... I don't know, like leaning on a fan base there. But I think when you look at this and you go forward with the goalkeeper, it kind of feels not viable. Like if you want to win, 
you've got to have a set of winners somewhere across the line. <laughs> Your goalkeeper is is one position where you need that elite mentality. And that's what I question with Anana. And I think yesterday, you just mentioned a few moments there. For me, it's the Kilman goal in the sense that that is a good chance for Kilman. It's it's point blank. It's right in front of you. And all you have to do is have your hands up here and you save it. And that's it. It's not rocket science. It's like goalkeeping 101. If your hands are out here or down here, you're in the wrong position at point blank save there. And it hits him. Does it hit him like in the shoulder? You know, there was two or three times yesterday where the ball hits him in the face and in the shoulder and you're like, your hands are nowhere near the ball. That's a problem. <laughs> so like if you're a goalkeeper coach, you're looking at that and you're saying, well, why is that? But we see that from him. That's part of his style of goalkeeping. And what does it do, Scott? It fills you with fear. You watch it and you think, oh, hang on, my goalkeeper can't do the real basics. So he was bought as a sweeper keeper. That's still not quite working. That might take, take some time. Eric Ten Hag will stick with him because he is Eric Ten Hag signing. But I think if he did have a new manager tomorrow, one of the new one of the things straight away a new manager would be looking at is going, well, maybe those three signings we talked about there, Anana, Anthony, and I think Mason Mounts were level, is who actually survives any future coal going into a new season. Because... None of them have really helped you. If anything, they've been detrimental. And I think for Anana, like the jury is out. It really is. It's, it does feel a little bit like, you know, the Claudio Bravo situation at Man City where you sign someone to do something, they can't do it. And at the end of the season, you go, we tried it, we move on. And I think Manchester United might be doing that. Maybe they'll... they'll well, they do, the different. difference is Claudio Bravo didn't cost 50-odd million. So and that is yeah. the problem. Like those three players I just mentioned there, Scott, 200 million in transfer fees. 200 million, and that's not even talking about their wages. So that is a lot of money. <laughs> like, again, we talked what Ineos want to do and how Ineos want to kind of do this project. And they're going to be looking at, like, cutting the wage bill and, and, and making money back on transfer so they can reinvest. You look at those three players, and I think you look at Anana, I think you could move forward more successfully with a young goalkeeper, which is what I wanted with De Gea. Like, when De Gea was... Well, Tottenham have shown before. it. Like, Vicario is, you know, he probably, if he had moved exactly. to Tottenham, he'd have probably joined Inter. But you got to remember when, when City bought Edison, when City, City bought Edison, when you, when Liverpool were Allison. I know they're always the examples. They were not established names. They weren't like you weren't bringing in goalkeepers that you go, oh, they're going to win you stuff. Now they did win them stuff because they proved themselves. But they're being brought in as development, you know, to be able to go win your football match in the future. I think you look at Anana, and it was always this feeling that you were buying this ready-made sweeper keeper. I think we used the words on the show when we signed him that he's the best sweeper keeper in the world. Maybe we were getting a little bit too excited there. But he has abilities that we've not seen yet because United still can't really play out from the back, even though that is going to improve, I think, with Martinez there and with Luke Shaw there. But this goalkeeper's got to get his hands up. And he's got to work out in the Premier League that that's a lot of the job. A lot of the job, point blank, is to make that one save a game. And the rest of it then comes. And, and you know, I think that the Neto goal, he leaves way too much open that side. He just says to Neto, shoot on that side and you're going to score. And he does. And you're again looking at something that's not technically a goalkeeping error. There's definitely a bad passage of play from, from someone that's struggling. And he's come back from AFCON, Scott. He got dropped for a third-tier goalkeeper from the French League. Like, that's not a good look, is it? Like, if Cameroon believed that about him, then what are we doing at United? Is, is it really maybe a time to give Bandir a little bit of a chance? There's no way Ten Hag does that. But that might be the kind of logical thing to do in the weeks ahead if Banana can't improve his performances. Just one more neg negative point. What the hell are they doing on that corner? Like who 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 do we look at here? Ten Hag makes changes. He brings on Harry Maguire. He brings on Johnny Evans. Yeah, he sacrifices attackers, midfielders to see out the game, and then you throw all of them forward on a corner when you're like in injury time, and you don't need to. You don't need to score again. Just don't be silly. And then so many players forward. The ball breaks to the ball falls to Anthony. He does Anthony stuff, loses the ball, and Wolves are away. And then that leads to where we just described with the, the Neto shot and Onana essentially just letting it past him. Whose fault is that? It's the manager's fault. It's the manager's fault. Does he, are you not telling me that in that moment that they are not putting instructions from the coaching staff to the players? That's how that last five minutes of a game works. And And like you just said there... He, he made all the outward changes. And this is why this is not an agenda. Sorry, I know people don't want like, think I'm having a go at Ten Hag. I disagree with you personally. I, I think in that moment, when there's minutes to go, he's shown in bringing on Johnny Evans, 
Harry Maguire, what he's doing, he's closing the game down. It's the right thing to do. I want to see more of that when you're in the lead. If you've got if you're one goal up with 10 minutes to go, start to close the game down. You don't need to go win it and by scoring another goal. I think in that moment, Scott, like you're saying that you see it differently, that communication from the, from the coaching area to the players has to be absolutely rigid. And that is you get the ball in the corner flags, you don't cross the ball into the box, Bruno. Centre-backs, you don't need to go forward. You don't need to go win the game again in the 90x amount minutes. You need to make sure that the counter-attack's not on. That is a coaching decision. It is. <laughs> when his players are running forward, do you know what he could do, Scott? He could stand there and show us and go, no, get back. You see Jose do that all the time, funnily enough, talking about Mourinho for the second time today. Jose would do it all the time. He'd be like, get back. Don't you dare go forward. Ten Hag wasn't. He was just kind of stood there, and 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 then Bruno goes and takes a corner. And I'm like thinking, like you just thought, there. it's like why are you swinging it in the box it's like mad? Because if they if they head it out, and then you've got Varane back there. Guess what? Varane's going to get outrun, isn't he? And that's exactly what happened. It, Anthony giving the ball away on the edge of the box there is Anthony things like we just described it. But what what were United supposed to be doing in that moment? The whole idea is to close the game down. So I think always that when I see a, something that happened in a football match like that, where it's complete dysfunction again, yes, it's the players. But players don't actually make those choices to go in the box. They, they don't just jog forward and go, well, yeah, we just do what we want. They're, they're being told what to do <laughs> in those moments because there's actually communication going. Did you see with Wolves? It was really funny when they made a substitution. Someone went up to Kilman and gave him a note and he takes the note out. Did you see it? And he reads the note. And then he goes and does something and he shoves it in his socks. And it's like that communication happens for the whole 90 minutes in football matches. It comes from the coaches. Yeah. And you're not telling me United are saying there, oh, well, they shouldn't be. Go score another goal. Like there's no need to score. You've won the game. And then in that moment, in that horrific counter-attack, United are all running back like idiots. And Neto just goes, right, I'm just going to put it through Varane's legs. And it's a goal in the corner. Not good enough, Scott, is it? Like that that is for me a coaching choice at that moment of time where you're trying to close the game down, but then maybe that communication isn't good. There's enough. also professional intelligence, Rob. These guys are yes. these guys have been professional footballers in this situation. Not in Cobby's case and Garnacho's case, but for a decade. Rafa Rafa Varand won a World Cup. Like Johnny Evans has 15 years of Premier League experience. Like <sighs> It's oh, about professionalism, but are we saying that these players are not taking on instructions at final five minutes and they're just take going against what the coach is telling them? I don't believe that either. I don't. I don't believe that in that final few minutes that that they were like, "Oh no, we'll just we'll do what we want." Like I know it feels like that, but I don't believe it. I, I think all of that is controlled from the bench, and I think in that moment you do want you're bringing on your centre back, so just get the ball on the deck and play the clock and and be boring and run run it down into corner flags. United are just not very good at that, and I, and I think that again maybe that is a communication issue from from Ten Hag. Is that it wasn't outward either, Scott. It wasn't like he was telling him to sit and we could see that physically. He's bringing on players, but then they weren't actually doing the function. Like you just said there, Johnny Evans. Johnny Evans knows what he's doing. Johnny Evans doesn't want to be in the box with in the 95th minute, does he? Like They're clearly trying to score a goal, and that's the, that's the instruction. And you kind of think to yourself, well, you don't need to score a goal. Just, just kill the game. So you nearly got punished for it, but of course, Cobby came up good. Cobby saved you. And that's the kind of the cherry on the cake for the football match. That's the most important thing for now. At least totally. like we, we could have uh, spent all of our time talk or what's the word being down on luck. I can't remember the word I was trying to say, but the picture changed when he, when he did that, mm. you know, and now you can get away with three points and look at, you can go and review that game. West Ham are coming up on Sunday at Old Trafford. You can look at that and go, Stop. Just don't <laughs> stop being stupid. Um but it's but collective positive, stupidity. Positive. It is, yeah. It's collective stupidity. And that's that's why I highlight the coaching side of it. It's because th th there's no doubt in that moment that you can actually like rejig your chessboard. I called that's what I called it last week, and just put your pieces in the right places and say, right, just keep the ball and do that, lads. But it wasn't that. It was still wild, wasn't it? And this is bringing on someone like Anthony to play his function in those moments. You know, Anthony's not that kind of player either. Anthony's a kind of forward-thinking, driving entity. He wants to go in that direction. Not particularly great at some of the more def defensive functions on the on the deck. Um, really? 
You nearly blew it. What? What? No, really? I think for he wants to be the one good thing about Anthony is that he works backwards. No, I think I think he does the work going backwards and forwards. But you saw in the end of that game that he's living on the edge of the box. <laughs> so it's like he's not he's not sitting back there to kind of cut off a counter attack. He's not st stood on Neto, which is what you would expect, wouldn't it? Like you, you're going to run with him. And what did they leave? They left Varane with Neto. That doesn't make sense, does it? Again, that's like a coaching faux pas, I think. So. You bring on Anthony because he gives you an extra bit of work rate, but it doesn't give you a lot of technicality on the deck. I really don't think he does. So it, horses for courses, you know, at the end of the day with that. But I think it was the right function. United were trying to do the right thing at the end. There's just They just still don't really know how to do it from the bench to the communication to the players. It nearly, it nearly blew up in our faces, but thankfully, thankfully, fingers crossed it didn't. And that's why we don't want to be negative. Like, you know, like you won the game and winning is really all that matters in that scenario. And you got away with three points. You can yeah. hopefully look back at it and go, right, let's let's learn from it. Even though they've had plenty of chances to learn from it before, they've not been punished for it. Mm. Anyway, West Ham at the weekend. They need to start winning. You know, West Ham difficult team, but you know, I think they only drew with Bournemouth last night. Mm. They United need to just uh put on a run of well, I say a run of wins, but if you beat West Ham, then you go to Aston Villa the week after. Great home form, but Newcastle just beat them. And then, yeah, if you go to Aston Villa, you put in a good performance and you win. Changes the entire complexion of the season. Changes changes the complexion. Wins change everything, don't they? Win games, it solves everything. It's the best plaster to put on a cart, always. And and this is the thing. There's nothing, I think, Scott, even going towards the end of the season. Say if United even got top four this year and like we came fourth, that would be miraculous from this position. But it still wouldn't mean that everything was was fixed. Like It just means that you might, might be moving in, in the correct direction and it's just a long process, isn't it? But I think now, I think United are seventh, aren't they? And, and there is a little bit of daylight there. Like You can look forward and actually say, right, these games are coming up and yeah, you have to win them. I think United are in that scenario now till the end of the season, just like certain other clubs are. I think you look at Chelsea, you know, and Chelsea are in that position where if you don't win games, this manager might lose his job, you know, and that might not be wholly Pochettino's fault, but that's why where you are with results. I think United now, we need to see the intent, Scott. Like when I'm at Old Trafford for the West Ham, uh, for, for the West Ham game and uh, Old Trafford in future matches, I want to see the team have intent in what they do. And we've not seen that enough this season. We saw it last year for a bit. We didn't see it this year. And now we need to see it every single week. Because at least if you're professional and you're doing your work, Scott, you've got a chance. You know, like we're seeing United are attacking better. They're finding the striker better. I think Rashford's form's improving. We like what Garnacho's doing. Now you have to figure out the other bits. Can you keep Cobby in the eight? I don't want to see him in the six. Can you keep players fit? Did you see last night Martinez? Big strapping on his leg. Did you see that at the end of the game? Big strapping. Yeah, and I didn't actually. I only saw a picture of it afterwards. Yeah, and and, and it's but icing his foot, so some swelling. So I don't think that's. You know, I wasn't too worried about it because I think if it had been an injury, they would have been treating him in the dressing room. They wouldn't have been treating him on the bench. It's a bit of icing on the foot. Nothing, I think, over the top. But you need to keep players fit now as well, don't you, Scott? And this is it now. Going into this next period, no European games to worry about. It's going to be just domestic stuff. And everyone just has to hit their marks week after week after week. And if you do that, then the pressure will definitely subside on Ten Hag. There'll be a lot less criticism on him and he can maybe do his work a little bit more relaxed. He doesn't have to deal with things he's had to deal with in the last week or two. Again, off-pitch stuff that does affect on-field things for him. Um, and you move forward. You get the victory. And I think he will actually be able to take that to the training ground and say, right, we did these things really well, lads. Carry on doing them. But then there's these little bits where we need to be a lot tighter. And he did say that after the game as well. He was like, he said, I think he said the words, I have experienced players and they're kind of not showing their experience at times. And you think about that and you think, yeah, I think that's a really good way of of surmising it because that's how it feels. It's like, come on, What's lads. What's he talking about in that, in that situation then? I think he was, was just talking. conversation about the corner. I think he was talking more about game management in general. So, and, and he's talked about that in the past as well. And, and in, in the last few weeks, it's been, obviously, I haven't got players fit, so game management becomes difficult. But I think when you have experienced players, I'm talking here about, like, in the final moments, you know, Bruno, um, Varane, um, I think you look, look at Luke Shaw to an extent. These are players that, that should go to their teammates, lads, ball on deck, 
five yard passes, slow it down. And they don't tend to. It tends to still be a little bit wild, like United are trying to fly forward in the 95th minute. And it's mad, isn't it? And then you have to go and score a goal to win the game. So I think that's what he was referring to. And that's, I think, what you were referring to as well, is professionalism, is that in those moments, you have to take control sometimes and just say, right, let's kill the game. We're not very good at that. Maybe that's something we'll get better at as the season goes on. West Ham on Sunday will be back on, I think, Monday to talk about whatever happens there. Hmm. Will you be there, Rob? For which game? West Ham. Yes. I'm at Arsenal-Liverpool. How enjoyable. Fantastic. I'm sure you'll love that. How exciting. I'll try and catch United, maybe on my phone. Uh, Anyway, like final section of the show, the transfer window's closed. Man United have signed nobody. They ran out of money, and they have, I'm counting, let 13 players leave. Hmm. One on a permanent transfer. Uh, I suppose uh, one is the cancellation of a loan, Sergio Reguilon, and the rest. Oh, two on two on permanent transfers here. Uh, one on deadline day, and then the rest are loan deals of youth players with options to buy. And the question is, why are you not letting go so many of their youth players? Do you want to? Do you want to stab at it? Look, I I, I don't feel great about some of the players that have gone out the door because I'm I'm always thinking about squad development and I think that young players even when they don't play or if they're in the fringes it's good to have them in house to work with your senior professionals at the same time some of these players do need football so they need to go out so that's also understandable and I think the bigger picture here Scott is that like you just said there's terms of a number you can almost officially call that a cull like that's a, that's a lot of pros to go out the door, whether they're young or old or whatever. Canceling someone like Regulon's contract, I think, shows a purpose, Scott, because you look at him and you go, he's not good enough. So just get him out the door. Like, let's cancel that one. I think when you look at some of the younger players, again, I think for me, it's more, say, someone like Hannibal. You know, we mentioned Hannibal last week with Severe. Severe released a press statement yesterday actually saying that it's all complete nonsense. The players training really well and all the stuff in the press has been completely inaccurate. The manager made a, an adverse comment and they said it's been taken out of context. And they think that the, the player's been like suffered because of that. So there's a little bit of defence of Maybe Hannibal. there's a little bit of plastering over a mistake. Of course. I've got, I've got, I think the manager, I think the manager's choosing of his words were wrong. Like he kind of was kind of making out Hannibal was an issue. And I think Hannibal, like Hannibal hasn't fallen out with the manager. It's just, it's just again, bad wording. It happens, doesn't it? I think Ten Hag has been accused of that by myself very recently of choosing bad words. Um, but I think when you look at these players going out the door, Scott, it shouldn't really impact your ability to win or build. And if anything, it means you can get to the summer transfer window in a little bit more cleaner, healthier state is that you're clearing up these squad spots to go out and buy players, maybe at the lower end of the transfer market. But you've also still got enough youngsters in, in behind the scenes where, like you see here yesterday, Forson coming on, got the assist for Cobby. That's not been that's not been talked about. Like he's the one who actually lays the ball off for Cobby to make that space to be able to run through. I, I, yeah, I think you're being... You're being nice. It's there. an official assist, Scott. It's an official assist. That's what it is. So, like, it's it's not it's not a Bruno assist from sixty yards, but it is still an assist. And and I think the thing is, is that that's how you're going to have to use players now. Is that some of the fringe, you need them to contribute somehow or the other, even if it is just a kind of dolly assists like that. You need them to get on the football pitch. And I'm okay with it. Like, I, I think I don't think we need to go too mad about oh, is Ten Hag invested in youth or not? I think Ten Hag and Man United need to be invested in winning. You need to go out there and find ways to win now. And I think I think chopping parts of the squad out because you need that room when it comes to FFP and you need it in terms of your wage structure, then it's smart to do it now, isn't it? These players are not gonna are not gonna feature for you in the next six months for whatever reason. That's what the manager's decided. Then move them now. Move them now so you can get into the summer and you can actually be a little bit more focused about how you're gonna go and buy your next generation of talent. Well, that's it, isn't it? I think when the accusations of his Eric Ten Hag promoting youth I think they look look at the two play look at Garnacho he broke through yeah look at Cobby hmm. he broke through and scored a win if you're good enough to play Cobby started like is it eight in a row or, or something or played in the last eight like he's club, he's club giving you <laughs> hey, he's a future club captain he, he he really is I thought that yesterday but hey if you're good enough you're old enough. I think what what these loan departures and permanent departures tell you of all these players is that a 
PSR FFP. We'll talk about that in a bit more in a second. But B, like if you're not, if you haven't shown enough, or if your path to the first team isn't there because there's established players in front of you that the manager depends on, then like that's it, you know. And also, I'll just I'll just dig into this FFP PSR stuff. So profit and sustainability rules. I just did a there's a video on Nighty Min's channels coming out around this, uh, which I, I recorded yesterday. Um, United are one of this. The PSR rules have been in the Premier League for a decade-ish. Clubs are not allowed to lose over £105 million over the course of a three-year period, right? Now, there's caveats with that. A lot of uh, owners investing money will will help that position, this kind of thing. But what we've seen for so long is erroneous spending from a lot of teams. Everton have been deducted 10 points. They could even get deducted more points the reason why they got deducted 10 points in the first place was because their three years of accounts dating back to the year ending 2021-22, they made a loss of $124 million, which is over the, the allocated limit of $105 million. They dispute mm. that, but they've been docked 10 points. Everton can now be docked more points along with Nottingham Forest because the years rolled over that 2021-22 season is still in their accounts along with 2022-23 and the year before the middle year and they they they've lost too much money in that period or they might have lost too much money in that period as well so then that will directly affect how many points you've got in the league forest are the same they tried to sell brennan johnson to i think it was brentford mm. it, during the season they ended up selling him after june 30th to Spurs for more money, but because it wasn't in that allotted period of time, their loss was too great. So it counts on the, the books of the following season. So what you're seeing is when United are spending 80 million on Anthony and you know 50 million on Onana, 60 million on Mount, and you're not selling players properly, which we know that they haven't been doing for so long, chances are, unless you're really successful and you're raking in money through... Uh, Champions League revenues and and this kind of thing going into going deep into competitions, you're treading that line, mm. and I think the fear is along United's lines and in the current three year period that they are treading a bit too close to the line. So they want to try and raise money or save money, cut back on money where they can, so it helps their position moving forward. Because this year could be potentially, if it's going to stay on their books for three years, <laughs> it's going to be a difficult one to get off the books which means they'll have to sell players. I'd imagine some players will be sold for big money if they can. But United are trying to simply balance the books out so it allows them for future investment to be a bit smarter and to avoid penalties. Arsenal, the same. Newcastle are the same. Mm -hmm. Top clubs in the Premier League all fear this. And the 10-point deduction at Everton and the following charges against Everton and Forest show that the rules have teeth and no clubs want to mess with it. And I actually think that's a good thing. Like United are one of about 10 clubs that are in this position where over that that period they have spent frivolously. Like you just talked about Nottingham Forest, Scott. I can remember off the top of my head, I think they've, they've made since they came up about 58 signings. <laughs> that's, that's not a joke. They've made like they've made literally over 50 signings in that period. I think one transfer window, they 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 bought 23 players in or something in in one summer like that that's that's crazy because it's a lot of wages isn't it and that was for a promoted team coming up trying to you know get itself established in the premier league because you've got all of these riches because now you're in the top division you're going to get all these windfalls um i think when you look at united this is partly again why we're talking about the kids going out the doors because you're just trimming you just trim 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 till you can get somewhere where you're happier you just said there you mentioned mason mount again and the signs of that and we talked about Anthony and we talked about Anana earlier. If you're going to spend 200 million on, say, three players, you better hope that A, they play and B, that they help you. And I think this is one of the reasons why United have let uh, Hannibal out the door is because that space is open for Mason Mount. So when Mason Mount is fit, you got to use him, haven't you? Like you paid him a lot of money and you, you gave Chelsea 60 million. So you can't then go down the line. So actually, we're going to play Hannibal, who's on, you know, a few grand a week. And this guy who's on tons of money is just going to sit on my bench. Mount is going to have to become a viable piece for Ten Hag in the next few weeks and months, and that starts with his fitness. 
But it also means, Scott, that when you get to the summer, you are going to be making these choices about some of these maybe failing talents at United because you can't do what you would normally do and say, well, just give it another year because as you get to that end of that year, you fail again maybe, but then you are absolutely at the mercy of this kind of FFP role. And it's been there for a long time, as you've just said. And, and teams are petrified of it. And Man United are definitely one of those teams. And I'm sure that Jim Ratcliffe, that's something as a businessman, that he'll be trying to rectify in the earliest moments. He's like, if I want to put my money in this club, we need to sort the accounting out and we need to be a lot tighter with that. And I think there will be. I think they'll get to the summer, Scott. And I wouldn't be surprised if there is one or two pretty significant transfers from Man United, just because you're going to have to balance those books. And you have to find a way to create a squad in a more holistic manner. It's just as simple as that. And why is it youth players that are leaving? Well, because they've tried to sell Harry Maguire and they couldn't. Yeah. Because they've tried to sell Scott McTominay and they couldn't. They tried to sell Jaden Sancho and they could only loan him out. Now, the reasons why they can't sell these players is because they're on bloody massive money. Not in mm. McTominay's case, but he doesn't want to leave. He doesn't want to join West Ham. Harry Maguire mm. is on money that no other club would pay him. No. Simply put, no other club will pay Harry Maguire that money unless he moved to Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. Jaden Sancho, you can United are paying two thirds of his wage. Yeah, still play, because still, Dortmund still can't afford they, they can't they can't afford that. I think Dortmund so that is that erroneous. <laughs> it's erroneous decision making. It's yeah. inflating. I think Anthony's wage went from like twenty five k to. 200 was it or, or something i, I, I think know. it was 12 times I, I remember at the time 12 times pay rise from what Why? i actually paying him you do not need to do that stop being so silly it's frivolous United isn't are it? now having to undo all these mistakes that they're making and the only real way that they can make a difference on the books currently because they pay all these first team players too much money is mm. to get let go some of the fringe players exactly. if you can make 15 million on hannibal or if you can make 15 million on a langer you probably got to do it for me. Completely. And, and and I think the thing is, is that the reason why you let go 12 or 13 kids or the youngsters or the fringe is because that's maybe the equivalent to one or even just two like genuine first team players on big wages. Like you might be, you might get rid of 10 Scott, but that might only be like 200,000 pound a week, like three, but 200,000 pound a week when we're talking about, these FFP rules is huge. So like your choice there is we can't sell Mason Mount tomorrow, even though he's not helping us. So we need to find a way to get him in the team. So what we have to do is make space by that and then take these other wages off and kind of put them together. Like as a conglomerate, there's like 12 wages that go off the books that maybe is the equivalent of two first team players. So that's okay. I think that's, that's part of the accounting of football. And if you're not going to use those players and Ten Hag says, do you know what? Let's get Palestri off the books because I'm I just don't want him in my team. United fans will respond to that because they like Palestri. We're going to see it now with someone like Ahmed, aren't we? In the in the weeks ahead, are you going to use an Ahmed or are you going to get to the end of the season and say, well, Ahmed actually cost us thirty million quid, like <laughs> he costs money, and you could actually go to the open market tomorrow and maybe get that thirty million back from a say if Sunderland got promoted or something like that when they're looking to bring back, make a big signing and a big splash. Someone might spend 20 to 30 million, but this is not actually about transfer fees, Scott. This is about in-house wage structures and being able to have sustainability. And yeah, you'll sell a player now and then where you'll make some money, but you're probably going to make losses on most of the players that go out the door. Like you just said there about McTominay and, you know, they wanted 50 million for McTominay. They will make a loss on McTominay. But like, 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 you look at these players that are kind of touted to leave and they're all leaving because at some one point or the other, they were failing. Like players that have done well tend not to be in these conversations, do they? So there's probably too many at Man United have not done well enough. And I do think that at the end of the season, Onana, Anthony and Mount, first, last one's in, first one's out. That's quite often how it works I think you're being a bit unfair on Mount. I'm not, no, Mount, look, I'm, I'm not being unfair. I thought Mason Mount was good signing and I want to be proved right about that. But at the same time, I don't feel good about it because his fitness is really poor. So he's been training for a while now at Carrington and supposedly been available already and he's still not really fully available it feels a little bit like varan but but when you don't want to bring him back and risk him going, going of course out. you don't of course you don't but you, you're going to get to a point where you will need him and this is what i'm saying is that you've decided that you're not going to stick with the hannibals the palestries and these types of players who have padded your squad out and i think done okay from the bench you know you're actually going to be using the mounts of this world but he's a 60 million pound sign in 
and he's, he earns a ton of money every week, 200 grand a week. So you've got to find a way to make him productive. And I think at the end of the season, Scott, especially if there is a change of manager, and I'm not trying to manifest that, I really am not. I think you might look at the players that have come in in the last year or two, and they might be the first ones out the door. And it's not a Rashford, it's not a Bruno, it's not like more established players that you're looking at initially to move out the door. It will be the ones that have failed in the in the last 12 months. Right, we've been going too long, so we'll wrap it up there. United, three points against Wolves, hopefully three more against West Ham, but obviously that will be a challenge for them. Fingers crossed. But if they do get it, it changes the conversation a bit. I think they got a week off after mm. that. And then you go to Villa, which is a tough game, but that record is not invincible anymore. Newcastle went and just, just beat them there. Hammered them. Mm, they really did so yeah you know you have a week or so to prepare if you can keep your first team together hopefully things improve and uh we'll see where we are but west ham yeah. are not in a great moment and in you are better than them you've got more talent than them go and beat them like there's no excuses now you've got your players available you're at old trafford go beat this team move on to villa park and go and take villa on because villa themselves are in now a bad moment and you need to take advantage of that. And that's something, again, United need to get better at, is to take advantage of these situations when they fall in our favour. Subscribe wherever you get your pods and watch us on YouTube, the Promised Land of Man United podcast. Notification bell, hit that. Like the video, subscribe, leave a comment as well. So you never miss a show. Hit that notification bell, do everything I just said. Follow us on social as well, at double underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at TPL, MUFC, for the show as well. We'll be back on... Monday, I think. Monday yes. it is after the day after the West Ham game. Hopefully we're talking about another win and less brainless activity in the final 25 minutes. Maybe, hopefully, no brainless activity. And just hopefully a smooth three points. We never get them nowadays. Anyway, from Scott and Rob, it's Cobby Mania. Until next time. See you soon. <laughs>